I'm not convinced anyone can understand a word you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast, everybody. This is the Lanky Guys. Hello. That's Father Peter Musset over there, as he just said. Dude, okay. Somebody, so, <laughs> all right, you can tell So Jess, Jess Gruber came, comes to me this morning and is like, hey, have you ever <laughs> listened to your podcast on half speed Which before? is funny because I've had people tell me they listen to it on two times speed or like one and a half speed to get past all the, of our garbage. What we're doing right now? Yep. And um and I've never sound I've never uh, heard people it was who painful. sound more drunk and <laughs> totally off their rocker it was, than you and I having a conversation at half speed. It was absurd, especially <laughs> last week. The, for especially, some reason. I mean, yeah, we we have because we were asking about like, is it a podcast? If it's not on a pod, it's oh dude. too much. And then then we go in about superpowers and rainbows and stuff. Like, how long did you listen to it, dude? I, it's like I, the longest you've ever listened to one of our podcasts. Oh no. <laughs> it is. I actually <laughs> want to go and review the first five minutes of our podcast on oh. half speed because it is some of the funniest stuff that I have ever heard in my life. Oh my goodness! It's it's it was it's, too much. It's like belly hurting, laughing, amazingness, overwhelming. <laughs> well, you know what's not belly hurting, laughing. I'm trying to think of a segue. I'm trying to. I'm just trying to get us there, Father Peter. Okay, dude. Well, it is belly aching, laughing, happy. I mean, because it's happy times, right? We are okay. I, I gotta. I gotta tell you the the uh, the tension that's in my mind and my heart right dude, now. Dude, I'm feeling the exact same tension. But are tell you? me what it is. Well, I think you're. Yeah. So we're we're talking about the resurrection today because we're doing this podcast for Easter, but we're recording this podcast obviously during Holy Week, and so we're literally in the tension of. We're talking about these glories and the heavens telling the glory. Is that? We've been singing that all morning, but that's not yeah. our psalm. This is the day the Lord has made. But we're talking about the day that the Lord is, is risen from the dead, defeated evil, trampled down death by death, conquered all these things. Yet when we're recording the podcast, I'm having a hard time really entering into that reality because we're not there yet. I mean, we, we are ent- there. We haven't entered into the reality yet. Yeah. So that it's, um, it, I feel like I'm in a weird place doing this podcast. Me too. Which I think is actually a really good thing because it's telling me that somewhere deep down I'm really giving myself to, to trying to enter into all this. Right. Which I guess that's a good thing. Because we shouldn't be living Easter in Holy Week yet, but yet, for the sake of the podcast, we will. Although none of you, well, most of you will probably not be listening to it on Easter. You'll be listening to it on you know, Holy Friday. Thursday or Good Friday or something. So so it's good for Holy us to kind of keep that reflective spirit of what we're looking forward to, but we're not quite there yet. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Anyway, that's where I'm sort of struggling, I guess. Well, this is, this is the thing that both you and I have is um, I don't like to look too far into the future. <laughs> Yeah, I, when you stare into your seer stone. <laughs> when I stare into the Palantir, <laughs> I do not like to see too far into the future. I don't know why that struck me as so funny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But this is the thing is that because um, we really want to go through hmm. everything that is going to take place. This is actually the priest's dilemma. Hmm. Uh, um, you, you, you always have to spend time before other people are spending time and stuff so that you can be prepared to walk with them in it and to be a guide. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the mountaineer's dilemma. How so? You have to think about the mountain as you're leading a group so that the group can be present. Oh, yes. And you have to think a couple of steps ahead. Ah, yes, this is true. 
Um, yeah, that's true. So this is true. So, uh, so what we so that being said, we're gonna walk through Holy Week, and um, we're and, not. We're just gonna walk through Easter Sunday. Um, oh, at another. Point. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Dude, I you thought were... you were saying something else, and I made fun of you because that's what we do on the podcast. Well, our first reading for the <laughs> resurrection, the day, Easter oh, day. Yeah, we're... we should point out that we're what we're doing. We're not going to do the vigil. We've done that the last couple of years, and it's not out of um, lack of love, but you have a couple of opportunities. <laughs> lack to... of love. Um, you know, like some people Who would the... come to that conclusion. No, some... <laughs> They hate me. <laughs> I wanted the Easter vigil. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. You, we've gotten a couple of emails in the past where they're like, "Come on, pony up, do all the readings." We do do all the readings. I mean, it's one we, of our duties. We have done all the readings in the past for the vigil, but this year we're not going to do it. We're going to do Easter morning. We've done Easter morning before as well, so we've done both at some point or another. So, it's, but we've never done these readings. We've never done Easter morning and year. A. 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 So anyway, so this is all new. All right, first uh, reading. Okay, Acts ten thirty four a thirty seven to forty three. Yeah, we skipped a few. That's okay. Did you? I didn't read them. Did you? Yep. Um, chapter ten is a. Oh, mm, I could I could do a whole podcast about chapters ten and eleven of Acts of the Apostles because I think that chapter ten and eleven of Acts of the Apostles is the turning point for the entirety of the Bible. Which is a really big statement. Um, the entirety of the New Testament. Let's put it that way. Dude, I mean, well, the New we'll Testament's the shift of the whole world. So it's basically that's the Copernican shift of the uh, the Copernican shift, because this hap no Caesarean shift, the Caesarean shift, the Caesarean shift, dude. So it's, so it's it's kind of like we have a Caesarean section. Cornelius, I've been trying to think of the guy. A Cornelius, there's a guy who shows up in chapter ten of Acts, and when you said Copernicus, it threw me off. His name is Cornelius. It's the Cornelian shift. The Cornelian shift. Because it is, so I, I as the cross, of course, is the, is the intersection. It's, it's the turning point of the whole of the Bible, of course. Jesus' act of redemption. But Acts chapter 10 is what shifts all of the New Testament to where it's going to head from there on out. Anyway, okay, more on that later. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 118, verses 1 through 2, then 16 through 17, and 22 through 23. With a responsible coming from 24. Yep. Yep, so we're just going to go with Colossians 3, 1 through 4, rather than the Corinthians readings. Because we assume that's what probably most of you will hear. So, Yep, so that, the Colossians is going to be our second reading. and then Did we say it? The, yep. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, yeah. And then our gospel we're choosing. There's three different options for the gospels, all of which are actually pretty darn good. We are, in very non-lanky guys fashion, choosing the shortest one. But again, only because it's option A, and option A just seems like the safest. There's there's a third option, again, like Father Peter said, that shows up in a mass later on, either in the afternoon or in the evening. But the vast majority of folks, I think, will, will go to Easter morning masses. So. And, and also, we've been really trying to consider our Canadian population <laughs> with much more um, intentionality. We're going with the A reading. A. A. <laughs> and also the Fonzies among us. <sighs> and all right. and all that stuff. So um so dude John Acts... chapter twenty verses one through nine is what we're reading. Oh. Dude, who's the one who needs a Red Bull? <laughs> I do. That's what I said. That's why I've been asking for one. Wait, are you saying you do? I do. You seem like you're doing fine. You're the one who's holding the podcast together today. It's weird. Dude, that's... I'm all over the board. So um so Acts Acts ten, not the body spray, Acts but the book 10. of the Bible, dude. The, thanks be to God that is man. I I love this <laughs> that uh, that Peter is going and like Pete. really 
Pete is he like all of a sudden the most bombastic guy in the world all of a sudden becomes like super eloquent and starts putting together stuff with the force of personality that we've seen before but yeah. now all of a sudden like he's like grasping it it's amazing I love this moment when because it really is like demonstrating that the power of God really rests upon us who the church it does Acts 10 outside of its context is uh, is rough because I mean the, the the content is good and and this is Peter's preaching. It's Peter's explanation of the gospel story, right? And it's Peter's account of a little bit of salvation history prior to this, but then his account of what what the gospel is. And it, it, it's funny. It's a funny thing if you read Peter's little sermon here in Acts ten and you compare it to the whole Gospel of Mark. The schema is actually incredibly similar. Really, which is part of what you know we understand that Mark's gospel is actually the gospel according to Peter. Because Mark was Peter's scribe and Peter's kind of right-hand man. And so he's writing the gospel on account of Peter. Well, you can compare the whole gospel of Mark to Acts 10 and see some real commonalities in the, the pedagogy and in the, the, the kerygma that's, that's used. So it's, it's interesting. That's an aside. Um, <laughs> it seemed like you had something. No, no, no. I just say. was like... It's kind of cool, though. I, yeah, I just started mulling over. The, I, I started thinking to myself, dude, I could use a scribe. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of who I could give you. I um, can't think of anybody. That's okay. I'll just I'll just take one of the, the Waitiwa staff. <laughs> okay. I'll take Gage. Okay. Ga- Gage can come and be my scribe. Be my scribe. And then yeah. I but but he needs to be on like call. I'm like scribe. And he'll <laughs> come and say yes. You I- could have a little bell that you ring. Ding ling 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 Um. So yeah. So what are the context. what are the verses? Yeah. In the midst of this, that that got pulled. So in, well, they didn't get pulled. I mean, again, I, I get it. You know, we can only. <laughs> You know, it's not like we're, well, we are, oh, the jump, the ones we jump yeah. over. Well, before we even get to those. Okay, so here's what's going on. Let me set the scene. Set the scene. Because the scene matters. So, um, obviously, we're 10 chapters into Acts. So okay. things are moving along. The gospel, though, here's here's the problem of this point in Acts. The gospel has not yet begun to go out to the ends of the earth. So and it hasn't even been written. Well, yes, it hasn't been written down, but the gospel obviously is is uh, bigger than just the written words, right? I thought it was the just the word. Come on, man! So, I thought it was solo scriptura. Oh my gosh, Father! Peter. I thought it was just the the words alone. Here we go. No, here we go again. No, no, I, absolutely. I'm just agreeing <laughs> right, no, with I you. I just, you know, it, it, sometimes we can equate that the gospel going to the end of the earth is that we have to get enough copies of the Bible into the world. Uh, I see what you're saying. And rather than the gospel comes incarnate, we share the good news of Jesus Christ one-to-one, eyeball-to-eyeball. And actually, in the very beginning of Acts of the Apostles, Jesus gives the agenda for how they were to do it. So Acts chapter 1, I think it's verse 8 maybe, is that right? Or something like that. Actually gives you the table of contents, both for the book of Acts of the Apostles, but also for... The mission of the church, isn't it and that when says, like we start in uh, Galilee and then we go to Jerusalem and then mm, we go to the ends of the earth? Uh, the other way around. So he says, "You're going to be my witnesses in first in Jerusalem and Judea." So, so I imagine I always picture, um, you know, if you throw a rock into a pond, and you see the ripples coming out from you, you have the epicenter where the rock bloop, bloops in, 
and then the ripples coming out. So Jerusalem and Judea, that's the Jerusalem is like the center of everything. That's where the apostles are at this point. It's where the crucifixion happened. It's where the temple is. That's that's um, uh, ground zero, right, for the gospel. So they're going to start by being witnesses to this, and that's where Pentecost happens too, right? So at Pentecost, when they finally receive the Spirit, when they understand, when they're empowered, they begin by being witnesses in Jerusalem. And then what's the surrounding area? Then Judea. And then what surrounds that? Well, up north of that is Samaria. And then from Samaria out to the ends of the earth. So it's literally these ripples going out. Acts 10 is the moment that we begin to turn from a church of the Jewish people to a church of the world, to a universal church. Is this the Samaritan turn or is this to the world at large? This is to the world at large. This is out to the ends of the earth. And so what happens is this. Just before this, Peter is wandering around and he's uh, performing miracles and he's doing things that Jesus did. Which we've talked about before in the podcast is that, that Acts of the Apostles is set up to say, look, Jesus did these things. Now, look, the church is doing these things. Yeah, absolutely right. So right before this, he raises a woman from the dead. You remember this? Her name is Tabitha, which also means Dorcas or Gazelle. Or Gazelle. Do you remember when he raises Dorcas from the dead? <laughs> yeah. It's in chapter nine. So he just raised Dorcas from it's, the dead. It's not very popular in Google's names. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Not yet. Like, it's coming. Dude, Dorcas is coming. Or Tabitha. Anyway, he, so he just raised Dorcas, and he's staying. He, it really is. That's a biblical name. But he's staying in a place called Joppa, right? At a house of a guy named Simon the Tanner. And so he's standing, staying at this guy's house. And and we don't mean like tanning beds, like UV no. rays. No, he, like an animal hide. Yeah, which, like applying tannins to animal hides so that they can remain in a flexible state so that you can create things such as bags, boots, and boxers. Uh, shoot. I was trying to get belts, belts. I was bags, boots, and belts. I was trying to come up with like an advertisement out of the gate. I know? could never stand my leather boxers. They never fit right. Um, okay, yeah, that, which which is automatically problematic because if you're a tanner and doing all these things, you're in contact with dead human. I'm sorry, dead, dead animal, if you, if dead you, animal you, carcasses. If you're doing that with the humans, no, dude, this is like Silence of the Lamb stuff, yeah, no, man. And we cannot. Have hello, Clarice. Hello, Clarice. So glad you come to dinner. Um, Some lima so, beans. <laughs> anyway, Favre beans. He. Um, Oh, you totally <laughs> shot me. So this this is the problem with Simon the yeah. Tanner is that he's in contact with death all the time, which is against the Jewish law. And they're in Joppa. Joppa is significant. Do you do you know who else was in Joppa? There's only one other time in the entirety of the Bible that Joppa shows up. That is when the uh, elite squad of jeez. Oh, uh, here no, we go. <laughs> here we go. It's the elite squad of um, uh, scouts that are going to scout the promised land get snuck into a oh. basket by the prostitute. <laughs> basket. And, and, and then they're going to be, then they get the scarlet letter put on them. That's right. No. No, I see where you were trying to go. Um, no, where you were going. That was funny. That was really funny. But no, that's not it. That's all the mixed up things that I have in my it's, head. It's relatively obscure. It's the last place that is uh, before you get to... Um, the place that has the horns and the walls fall down. No, someone. I, I see what you're saying. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with the entrance into the promised land. So what you're Joshua. saying is that I'm wrong. I'm saying you're wrong. I said that clearly. Then why don't you tell me what's right? Um, it's the place where it. So it it comes from the time of Jonah. Well, it doesn't. I mean, it exists. But the only other reference that I'm aware of is in the time of Jonah. Right when Jonah sets out, it's when Jonah decides. Remember, Jonah is told by God to go preach to the Ninevites. Jonah is the only prophet of the Old Testament 
who's called to go to a non-Israelite population and preach to them. He's the only one that doesn't happen otherwise. Everyone is sent either to the northern or southern kingdom, right? Except Jonah, who's sent out to the Ninevites, and he doesn't want to do it. But in going to the Ninevites in Assyria, he sets out from the town of Joppa. The only other reference to it. So here's Peter in this place called Joppa, staying at this guy named Simon's house. And he's up on the roof one afternoon. He's taking a nap. He's really hungry. He's getting ready for dinner. And so he's napping. And you remember this? He's napping and he sees this vision come down of all of these animals on the sheet. It's the pigs in a blanket vision, right? Right. A bunch of animals on a sheet, uh, presumably ones that are declared in the Old Testament as I unclean. A, I thought it was a magic carpet. It could be. Does it? I mean, are they mutually exclusive? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. But yeah, he doesn't ride it. I, he doesn't, like he ride doesn't it. take off with no. with Ariel or who, who's uh, <laughs> Ariel. Giselle. Giselle. Who is who is it in Aladdin? I don't remember. Prince, princess. I think I saw it once when princess I was a kid. Princess Dorcas. I don't know. Princess Dorcas. Anyway. But, but the, all these unclean animals, and the Lord says to him, take, eat. Yeah. And he says. And nothing unclean's ever passed my he list. He says, no. He's like, I can't do that, Lord. Uh-uh. I don't think so. So he's told to eat these animals that are called unclean in the Old Testament. He's like, no, I follow the law. I've never, like you said, I've never done this. And the Lord says, bacon. Three times. <laughs> bacon and shrimp cocktail. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't know. Shellfish. But he's like, no, three times. And the Lord the Lord changes this. And and uh, what the Lord, uh, this is a, a issue we don't have time to go into. Actually, but this here is fun Catholic trivia time. Here's my trivia question to you. Okay. It's a trick question. I'll warn you in advance. Thank you. Unclean foods, right? There's a lot of unclean stuff in the Old Testament. Yes, sir. Pork is considered unclean, shelled fish, all sorts of stuff. Are Catholics allowed to eat unclean food today? Yes. No. But there is no such thing as unclean food. Ah, this is God's answer to Peter. He says, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says in response, what what I I have have cleansed, made clean, you will not call unclean. It's not that Catholics can now eat unclean foods. It's that those foods are not unclean anymore because God has made them whole. Which, they were always just food, but they were food that trapped the Israelites historically into sin. And that other nations were glorifying in ways that they shouldn't have. And, you know, I mean, this well, is this, the way the Old Testament law works. Well, the this things- is the thing is that um, part of the reason is that uh, a covenant is based around a meal. And so yes. the Lord does not want Israel covenanting itself with people. And so he restricts food. And if any of you have food restrictions in your diets, mm. you know how complicated it can be to go over to somebody's house for a dinner. Yeah. And in a, sen- in a certain sense, that's what the Lord is really actually trying to do. Is he's, like, absolutely, yeah. he's like, do not go over to those people's house for dinner because you know what's going to end up happening. You're going to rise up. And ain't, <laughs> rise nobody, ain't nobody got time to rise up. You know what yeah, I'm saying? No, rising up is bad. Yeah, so that's what's going on. But he's told, okay, no, this this restriction is lifted now. These foods aren't unclean anymore. Right. Which, it's really not about the food. There's a deeper reality. So as that's happening... Because we're being called to go out to the nations. But Peter doesn't know that yet. So as he's seeing this and wrestling with this and trying to understand this, some guys show up at the door, knocking at the door, and they're like, hey, we are looking for a guy named Peter. He's like, I'm Peter. But they come from a place called Caesarea, where there was a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a huge military commander, right? He was uh, in charge of the Roman cohort, which was a big, prestigious um, part of the Roman military, right? So he's like, a, he, like what, like two-star general? Uh, maybe even higher. 
Three stars? Mm, maybe. Well, four star? I don't know how the stars all work. Five? Four star? Uh, Let's like go five, with the five four star. star. Okay, yeah. I think he was probably, yeah. He, he's not, he's not a, the commander-in-chief, but he's one of the He's main, real high. He, the Roman cohort, the, the Italian cohort, was one of the most important um, branches of the Roman military there was. So he's a big deal, and that's what the text wants to make clear. He believes in God. He's a God-fearer. And so I don't know if that means he's a Jewish convert or he's just someone who's sort of you know, is exploring. He has some understanding of, of the true God, even though he's Roman. And so he's told in a vision, he has a vision too. While Peter's having one, he gets a vision. It says, hey, I want you to send guys up to Joppa and bring some guy named Peter down here. And he's going to bring a message with him. So he's like, okay. So these guys, as Peter's wrestling with this vision, these guys show up and they're like, we need you to come with us. And so Peter goes because he recognizes, okay, God's doing something. And he shows up in Caesarea and there's all of these Gentiles, these non-Jews. Again, up until this point, the church is a Jewish reality. And I can't stress that enough. The church is a Jewish reality in the sense that what is the church? The church is a bunch of people who think that the Jewish Messiah has come and that he is Jesus. And there's no concept that all of a sudden we're starting a new religion or somehow branching off. It's just that, well, we're Jews. We believe in a Messiah. That Messiah has come. Praise be to God, right? But there's not an understanding that, no, 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 God's doing something totally new. And he's bringing in the entire world into this new universal Catholicos reality, right? Until they get to Caesarea. And Peter's like, oh my gosh, all these people want to hear the gospel. So he stands up and he starts to preach, led by the Holy Spirit. And he says this, and he tells the story of the gospel. And it literally, and so he's telling, he's retelling this. He's telling the Easter story, which is something that all of us as Christians going into Easter should have at the ready in our minds. When somebody at work is like, what did you do this weekend? And you're like, oh, well, actually, it was Easter for us. Everyone's going to be like, oh, Easter bunny and chocolate eggs and, you know, whatever our associations are. Do we have the ability to be like Peter on the spot and be like, no, actually, this is what Easter is to me. This is what we believe. This is what I did this weekend. I mean, that might not come up for all of you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. We need to have that at the ready because Peter here is on the spot and he's like, these people want to know. And it literally, so so he's preaching here, and what we don't get at the very end of this, it says, as he was preaching and saying all these things, do you remember what happened? It said the Holy Spirit descended upon the crowd that he was speaking to, and they all began speaking in tongues, which sounds awfully familiar, right? It's sounds Pentecost. like the Pentecost. They're having another Pentecost. And Peter, who's like, well, Pentecost was for us, like that was... God's thing for us and the apostles and that's how he did it. And now all of a sudden, wait, he's doing it for the who who are you guys again? <laughs> like what who are you? And you're having a Pentecost and Peter's response is, we better hurry up and baptize them. Which is ironic because in the Catholic understanding you get the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. Right. But here it's the other way around. Peter sees well, they're getting the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh, we need to catch up to where God is. So we better hurry up and baptize them. Because God is doing something new. And I need to follow him. The, the Peter, in this story, I think most perfectly reflects what the Pope and what the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church, is supposed to do, which is to see what God is doing in the world and conform ourselves. Mm. God is moved among these Gentiles. He sent his Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. We must baptize them. Peter's job is to conform the church to the will of God. 
and he does it. And this is his testimony later on in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 15 when they're like, what do you do up in Caesarea and all this stuff, right? But this is, is the turning which, point. This which, is when everything changes. Absolutely. And, and he gets Peter into trouble because he kind he of just, he responds in a really great way. But then he's he gets he's confused. He's not exactly sure the mechanism by which like, OK, the Holy Spirit hit them. Let's baptize them. Do they have to live the whole law? Do they not have to live the whole right. law? And then, then the, the church has to really deal with that. But that but, that, but he's already set up in part for that because he had the dream about the animals. Take and eat. So he understands, wait a second, no, even the nature of the law is different than what we thought it was now. Right. So all of this is to say, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the fact that on Easter Sunday, this is what we read. Because this is not just a reflection on Easter Sunday. It's a reflection on what does Easter Sunday mean for the rest of human history. Right. And and then we'll go in, and the gospel readings kind of, instead of moving from the narrow to the universal, they move them in the universal back to the narrow. Right. And basically saying, look, this is where we are. And it's certainly us in this part of the world, in this part of the country, in our church. I mean, we're a Gentile people, by and large, ethnically speaking. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people with Jewish blood among us. But by and large, this part of the Christian world is the response to this passage. This is God saying, I want you guys as well. I am not, as far as I know, ethnically Jewish. Yet God said, but I want you in my family. Even though you didn't think you could be a part of it. Even though the people in my family didn't want to let you in necessarily. Or think that you could be a part of it. You are a part of it. And it's good for us on Easter Sunday, the the Sunday, the day that God gives us the mechanism to be a part of his family, that we reflect on how we actually got here. Which is just kind of cool that the church gives us this today. Because this is the moment that changed everything. That's why we're here. Which is kind of cool. And so we, we go move to, to respond psalm. in the psalm. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And, and here's what's kind of cool about this. Um, psalm 118, by the way, as a side note, has always been favored in the liturgy as a psalm to be prayed at the beginning of Sunday. At sunrise on Sunday. It's, it's a favored, um, in the ancient church, this was a favored psalm because this is, well, we'll get there in a minute. I mean, on a certain level, I, I see this coming out of the mouth of Mary Magdalene when she goes to the tomb and begins to realize what's going on. And Peter and Simon, or Peter and John, when they go there, I mean, this is the response to Easter Sunday. But what's beautiful about this is that it's also the response to Pentecost number two in Acts chapter 10 up in Caesarea, which is essentially Easter Sunday is happening again. And this is the power of Easter, is that there's still parts of the world that have no idea Easter happened. So the moment that that is revealed to them, oh my gosh, it's like Easter Sunday all over again. Mm. And what the first reading is reminding us of is that Easter Sunday continues on. And it is a revelation that is uncovered over time. And the only proper response to realizing, well, I get to be a part of this, is this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that I'm, I mean, and, and Sunday morning when, you know, these are the readings we're reflecting on for them. It's also the morning that we're reflecting back and, and, we're all kind of bleary-eyed and groggy getting out of bed. Maybe you had an Easter egg hunt that early that morning. But we should also be thinking, oh, my gosh, last night at the Easter vigil all around the world, we got a bunch of new brothers and sisters. Mm. And there was a bunch of people born into the church, into my parish, last late last night while I was sleeping at the Easter vigil service. Mm. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad because my family's bigger this morning. This is the experience of Caesarea, right? Yeah. Let us rejoice and be glad because my family's even bigger now. I didn't even realize you guys were going to be a part of it. 
And this is the moment that Easter Easter is continuous in that way. Yeah. But I love reflecting on it in terms of Easter Sunday morning, thinking about what happened last night. I wasn't even there, but I have a new brother and sister, or 30 of them, or hundreds of them, or millions across the world, whatever it is. That's really cool. That's a cool reflection for Easter Sunday. It's a great, uh, it's a great reflection, which is actually a really amazing segue into to Colossians All right. 3, 1 through 4, because... What we're doing is we're saying this is the mystery by which we acquire new brothers and sisters, which is okay. where where we have died with Christ and our mm. life is hidden with Christ in God. That mm. in a certain sense, like like the, the family life that you possess is really only known to you. Yeah. Like like your nuclear family, you can't you can't really even express it. Even out to the extended parts of the family, it's right. it's like the the life that I enjoy with my mom and my dad and my brother and sister, like like you that's w- yours. Yeah, I would love for my nieces and nephews to understand mm. that in a better way. Or, but you always kind of just tell mm. them stories about how you grew up and what it was like and the good and the bad and all that sort of stuff. And so, like by being inaugurated into Christ, which is actually what Peter is doing up in Caesarea. Tell me. He's telling the stories for these extended family members. He's like, hey, let me tell you, you didn't get to meet Jesus while he was walking on earth. Let me tell you these stories about him. And then they're going, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit inaugurates them and says, yes. you're a part of the family. And he's like, oh my goodness, these are my brothers and sisters. They're yes. part, the Lord is showing me clearly that they're part of the family. And so, yeah. so uh, like our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Yes. And so our family life is now going to be lived out. This is what it means to be justified, is to be into the family. Yes. And so we seek what is above, not what is earthly. Like we've been set free from being earthbound and from the, these former ways. And so because of this, we, we know that we, you're, you're giving me this thing. I get a different take on that. But, but I mean, that's true. Everything you said is, is our, true. Our, our end is not earthly. That's true. Well, so it says it okay, says keep going. Think of what is above, not as uh, what is on not, oh, not as what is on earth. Oh, I see what it says. I mean, I understand the redempted re- redeemed creation. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I mean that's my that's the whole thing. But but there's something so context. Again, context this I, I struggled with the reading from Colossians all day. Okay. Um and I had to do a little bit of digging because I know one of the things that I know about Colossians written to the church in Colossae, it's a church in Asia Minor, not the most prominent church in the world, but you know, just it's important in the sense, it's not politically important particularly. It's important for us, and it made it in the canon of Scripture because what Paul says to them is universal in its scope and it's powerful. Right. One of the things that Col- the Colossians struggled with, remember, most of Paul's letters are written to put out fires, right? There's somebody <laughs> doing something stupid, somebody has taught some false heretical teaching, and Paul has to counter it or fix it or clean up the mess, right? Right. Colossians is a great example of that. Um in the sense that there are false teachers, once again, as there are in many of the churches. But in Colossae, what the false teachers are teaching is a sort of a, I mean, it hasn't quite hit the world as such yet, but we're dealing with with essentially Gnosticism, right? Which hasn't become Gnosticism yet. In time, it will. But it's proto-Gnosticism, I suppose. Which, Gnosticism is, the, is this, we've talked about this a million times before, but it's this idea that certain people have secret hidden knowledge and other people don't have that. And so if you want to get in on the secrets, then you got to buy my next book because, you know, I've got the secrets and you don't. Right. Thing is the kind of thing. Right. But the other trapping that always goes along with Gnosticism is this idea that 
gnosis, right? Knowledge, things that are invisible, things that are not physical or fleshly, those are really good. And things that are material and fleshly and, and physical drag the soul down. And Gnosticism was, is very much akin to like Hinduism or, or Buddhism or certain strands of it in the sense that what you really wanted to do was transcend the physical, get beyond all of these barriers and this body that drags you down so that you can transcend and tap into the spiritual stuff. The, the spiritual gnosis, wisdom, right? And so when you engage in bodily things, it's really bad. And so there appear to be teachers even in the church in, in Colossae saying, don't engage in bodily, we see this in Corinthians too, don't engage, husbands and wife, don't engage in the, in the, in the marital act in the because it's too physical, yeah. it's too material. All of these things, fasting, which for Catholics, fasting is really good. But we think fasting is good because we're abstaining from something that's good, not because we're abstaining from something that's bad. Yeah, right. Absolutely. We fast from meat because meat's really good. And so we say, no, we're going to sacrifice a good thing for the sake of a better thing. Gnosticism says, no, you should sacrifice it because it's bad and it drags you down. Right? right. Does that make sense? Anyway, this is and the which struggle. Which is not what I'm saying. No, 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 not at all. I'm just saying. Th- no, th- no, no, no. Th- you're I'm, not saying that at all. No, no. I'm just talking about teleology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what is our end? What, what, is, the, what is the true destiny of humanity? Now, right. it, it is both and. This is actually the thing is that it's not just a spiritual reality and it's not just a phys- right. earthbound reality. That it's actually heaven and earth coming together. It's. It's, it's like the sacraments are a preparation for the eternal reality that we're going to be living. Absolutely true. But I think Paul is even more narrow than that in Colossians. Because what the Colossians, the other things, this is the Dude, book. Don't call Paul narrow, man. <laughs> I, th- I think that dude's pretty wide. <laughs> That's Thomas Aquinas. He was ah. um, One of the things, if you remember, the Colossians are struggling with is worshiping angels. Remember Paul has to call them out for that? Oh, yeah. If you recall, which again makes sense if you understand what Gnosticism is. They're worshiping these pure spirit, right? Well, that makes sense. And they're also harboring what would become later fleshed (laughs) fleshed down, more um, uh, developed Uh heresies. Actually, it's the heresy of Docetism, really finds its beginnings here. Docetism was a heresy that said Jesus wasn't really a human being. He just appeared. Doseo is the Greek word that means to appear. Um, so it said it just, he just looked like a human being. He just looked like he suffered. God is God. He's pure spirit. He can't really suffer. So he made himself look like he was suffering. He made himself look like human, right? All this stuff. So the letter of Colossians, Paul is constantly drilling home. He had a body and in his body, he suffered and was killed and died in his body and his body rose again. And it was a body. It didn't appear to be. It wasn't pure spirit. It wasn't any of this stuff. He was real. And how do we enter into it? And the other major theme of Colossians is all about baptism. Like you were saying, we have to be baptized. We have to die and be risen again in our physical bodies. So when Paul, and and that's why I was struggling because then I read this passage and Paul keeps saying, so in light of all of that, don't think of things that are here on earth. Think of what's above, which is like, well, wait, that's what they're struggling with, right? Mm. But what he said right before it is the key to everything. He said, when you were raised with Christ physically in your body, because you went down into the water, like all those people are going to do at the Easter vigil in a couple nights, seek what is above. Because when you came out of that water, you were changed. You were different where Christ is seated physically in his body, seated at the right hand of God. Not as a pure spirit, not as some mystical kind of floaty reality. Jesus' body dwells in heaven. So, if you have died, and if your life is hidden in Christ to God, then what should you do? Think of what is above. What is above? 
is Christ's, Christ's body. body. Think of that. Look to that. And it, because it's it's easy to read this and kind of make it Gnostic. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, think, don't like think of the bodily, there. spiritual stuff, yeah. or physical stuff. That's but only because Christians become escapists very easily. Yes. And we're like, well, we just need to get out and float off to heaven. I don't think that's what he's saying because he spent the whole letter going against that. He's saying, no, in heaven, there is a body and it's sitting there and it is real because it is risen above. And so he go the very next verse, he goes on to talk about why they shouldn't sin and, and be licentious and drunk and do all these different things. And he says, because it's not who you are. Your body has been raised. So you can't engage in those things because you're lying. Because your identity is somewhere else. So look up to Jesus himself. Mm. Don't look up to the pure spirit and forget about your humanness. Right. Look to Jesus, who is fully God, fully human, embodied just like you. And you're able to tap into that. That's what he's getting at. So that's Paul's way here of entering into the Easter story. This is what Jesus does, but he does it in his body. Make no mistake, that same body that you drag around and, you know, sometimes it suffers and gets tired and injured and everything else. Jesus took all of it in his real body so that your body could be glorified, so that you can look to him in his body and know how you're supposed to live. That's what Easter does. That's what Easter gives us, a new understanding of who we are. Anyway, that's that's a long way around what I think Colossians is drilling home. Dude, that's awesome. And why it matters and why that fits and why it's not what it looked like at my first glance. And matter matters. Matter matters. Which leads us into the first day of the week. It does. The Gospel of John. Which you can look at this <sighs> pa- particular passage in John 20, 1 through 9. You could look at it in a, in a, a chiastic capacity. Ooh, why don't we do that? Um, basically, yeah, you have you have a, a really interesting. If you know what chiasm is, it, I do. Um, you have the, the beginning, which is um, uh, Peter and the other disciple came out, and the other disciple reached the tomb. So it's really interesting. So you 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 start the first section talking about this other disciple, then the last section um, echoes this, talking about the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. Who's the other disciple? Well, we're talking about John, so let's just say that it's John. Well, I think it's pretty safe because he talked about he he refers to that disciple as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is always his reference point for himself. Well, yeah, that's good, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you seem hesitant. No, it's on so that point. it's no, no. I mean, no, maybe it's, it's not. No, it's so funny it because like I can understand why he wants to be humble, and sometimes I just hate. Oh. I just want people to be straightforward. Sometimes I. I, I heard, a new, I, this is not mine, but I heard a new insight on this Talk to me. that I'm intrigued by. And I'm intrigued by it in light of the first reading, because I was thinking of this in terms of the first reading. In, in the, you know, the first reading, okay, to, to back way, way up for just a second. Back it up, back it up. Acts of the Apostles has two major heroes, right? Two major characters. Okay. Lots of, lots of characters, but two major ones, right? The beginning, the first half of Acts, essentially, is the church's ministry to the Jewish people, right? That first part of Jesus's itinerary. So who is the main figure in the first part? Who's the minister? Who's the apostle to the Jews? Uh, uh, apostle to the Jews, St. Paul. No. Oh. You would think that because Paul was the one who was schooled in Judaism and a rabbi of rabbis and the greatest of his time. But that's not who God sends to the Jews. Peter. Peter is sent to the Jews, the most uneducated. Yeah, I don't know. what. You know, I, I, I always, no, I know you knew. I that. always like crisscross, you know, uh, yeah, because it's logical. One. And then, of course, the the minister, the apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, is Paul. Because, but isn't it interesting? So the turning point to that whole story, 
the one who experiences, who proclaims the message to the Gentiles, is not the one who's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And I think it matters ecclesially that it's Peter who gets the pigs in a blanket vision. It's Peter who is called up to Caesarea from Joppa by Cornelius. It's Peter who first proclaims the gospel message to a group of Gentiles. Okay, that's why I'm confused. Because he's the pope. Right. Because he, it has to come through him. And this is always Paul's own corrective. When Paul's ministering to the Gentiles and people are like, hey, you're doing stupid things and you're wrong and you're, you know, this is all incorrect. His corrective is always, no, I checked it with Peter. I went to Kephas. I went to the apostles and I made sure I was on the right track. But I think it actually matters ecclesially that it's to Peter that this vision comes. It doesn't work if it comes to Paul. I mean, that's great. And that's a private revelation. But when God reveals it to Peter... That's a teaching of the church. That's mm. him saying, no, and you need th- this. There's a universality to what I'm saying. I'm not just telling mm. you, you can have some bacon now. I'm telling the Pope of what I'm doing in the world. And it matters that that doesn't happen to Paul. Now, what does this have to do with the gospel? Well, well at the center of this chiasm uh, is that Simon Peter came and following the, the, the beloved disciple and then, go, but then goes into the tomb. What but does the, the beloved disciple do, though? Waits for him to go in. Yes. Well, I've never thought of that. I've never seen that. You've never he seen de- that. He defers right. to Peter because he's Peter. Absolutely. And it matters that Peter goes in first. I, there's an, an allegorically, um, some of the, father, some of the uh, saints talk about, there's an analogy here with the, the, um, the contemplatives. So those people in the church whose job it is to pray, sisters and monks, and the hierarchy, the magisterium of the church. And sometimes the, the contemplatives reach the will of God and conclude things about the world before the church, but their job is to defer for the church to declare those things to the universal church. But sometimes others of us reach the conclusion first, but our job is to allow Peter to teach and allow the hierarchy of the church to proclaim. It's not up to me. It's not up to Paul to say, hey, everything's changed now. The church is changing her teachings. It's not up to you to declare that. I, the, the church doesn't change her teachings. Let's be, let's be clear about what we're talking about. You know what I mean, though? You know, it's, but it matters that Peter is the one that changes course. Absolutely. And I would say that, um, I mean, and th- that's the context, is that the, the, the beloved disciple ran faster than Peter. And then, th- then the context is, is then he goes in after Peter, yes. but then the center of the chiasm is that he went in. And then, of course, on yeah. either side, it's about the linen cloths. Yeah. Um, and, and so th- it's, yeah. it's the expression, actually the corrective going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Mm. How so? Because Eve acted before Adam. Eve acted before Adam. Okay. Eve was actually, I, I have a hypothesis that Eve was actually meant to call Adam forth and to encourage him to face off against the ancient dragon. Yes. But rather starts negotiating. So mm. so what happens is that both of them are in the fall, the, the paralyzation of him. But then mm. uh, Eve not actually being with Adam in the midst of this. And that that's part of the division in there. And so what happens is that we see the church as bride. Mm referencing and going back to the new the, to the to the the uh, adamic reality that's found in the this papal expression mm. i don't know it's a theory I'm not, I'm not i'm not exactly sure if it works out all the way but it's intriguing but but, but then when you say this deference it allows yeah. for this proclamation to go forth yeah. it's it's this deference it's it's and and 
And so it's it's an interesting thing of, of perhaps this is another way in which we can see the corrective of humanity not mm. dealing with each other well. Yes. And, and a reestablishing of harmony between, um, yes. b- because somebody has to defer. This is hard. And so the beloved disciple, the one who has it all, who could who grasps it in a way that Peter doesn't even yet grasp it. And is just physically faster. He's just, he's, <laughs> he's a better younger. athlete. He's younger, he's faster, he's smarter, he's more beloved. <laughs> And, and, and yet, and yet he, and yet he knows it's not mine. And he defers in mm. in, in, in this, powerful. and and it's and it's not fun. Yeah, I'll tell you. Does he does he wish he could just go in and guns guns blazing? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know. I wonder. I mean, but that that's that's how sometimes I, the the feelings you know with the hierarchy can come about. You can oh. say. Well, I think that that's actually one of the great gifts of our friendship in the podcast is that that we can mutually humble ourselves and that 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 we can learn and become educated from each other because we offer different realities, but right. that this still is a profound act of of pastoring that I I feel like I'm doing even though Really, so much of the substance of the podcast comes from you. But why do I put? The, why do I spend the time to put together the substance so that priests can give better homilies? That's our. That's I don't want to give a homily. That's our first mission. That is our first. That's why we started the podcast to begin with. It's because I want to help to make, you in your homily. Yeah, prep. exactly. And now we can be a service to other priests. I don't want to give homilies. And make no mistake, this podcast is no substitute, as you have said many times, for a homily or for going to mass. Right. Because we don't want that, and I don't want to be that. And if I can serve other priests, then praise be to God for that, in all humility. Well, and that's the same for me, is yes. if I can serve other priests, that would be such a gift. Um, and and because this is the truth, is that I, I one of the things that when we when we started this, Scott, is I, I thought, dude, here's a man who could dedicate seven years of his life exclusively to the scriptures. I have a lot of concerns as a priest. Yeah. All of the priests that I right. know have profound amounts of concern and right. don't have the ability right. to to give such an entire focus. I mean, we right. live in an age to where like yeah. no, there are demands beyond. Yeah. And so your knowledge and your ability to have gone in and spent time in the tomb um <laughs> and to do that to be that but then like to be able to also invite me and to be able to invite all of our lanky listeners. I mean, at a certain point, this analogy breaks down. Well, it does. But at the same time, the last thing I'll say about this analogy that is breaking down. Um, <laughs> when you, I, I, I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, we all travel around and I'm like, oh man, I would have said the homily different, you know, when I travel and stuff. I love coming home and I love hearing, because what I find, and I've said this to you so many times, you'll give a homily based on the stuff that we've talked about three days prior. Right but you'll do something that I would have never imagined. And I've got the yeah. con. I can talk about the history and the language and I can unpack that stuff. And it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm not so, you know, falsely humble as to realize that that's not really cool, but then you bring it home in a homily. I can teach a great class. I really can. Yes, you can. But that's very different than a homily. And then I'll see you on Sunday. I'll be like, oh my gosh, you have made this thing applicable to everybody's lives in this building that I would have never been able to do Mm, because you have actually been given a gift by God to do that. Yeah, That's where you've been graced. And I need to realize how cool that, I do realize how awesome that is. And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. And I would have never gone that direction because he's given a homily and I'm not. And that's cool because then all of a sudden we're mutually building each other up. And all of a sudden the church works now because I can be in service in my way and you can actually serve the church as priest in this other way. 
And in the same way, you can't look at Archbishop Aquila and be like, well, I should do it better than you will. And I could govern this church better than you. And I'm blah, no. look at how well I run St. Thomas Aquinas, blah, no, blah, blah. Not at all. But it's this way that we're all, this is the way it's supposed to work because it keeps us all in check and it allows us to thrive in our gifts. Absolutely. At least that's my experience. Absolutely. Which is really comforting and, uh, and just will, really good. The will of God does come through our superiors. Now, this is right. the thing is the will of God comes through Archbishop Aquila for me. Yeah. And I listen and I form myself off of what he does in a really profound and beautiful way. And that's the gift. And that's as he, he lives as a profound gift. Absolutely. And, um, and yeah, so I would really encourage everybody to make sure that they eat hominy at their Easter breakfast. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving hominies. Ah, oh, that was okay. really bad. It was close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can cook comedy way better than most. See, now you know the stuff to weed out of your homily for uh, Sunday, too. <laughs> this is very good. Yeah, you can try out stuff here <laughs> that just is not going to fly later on. Sorry, everybody. Dude, thanks for the love on the homily stuff. Oh, my gosh. Thanks Dude, for that's... the love on the homily. Hey, you're welcome. All right, guys, we got to wrap it up. Wrap it up, wrap it up. We'll be back next week. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Christ is... I can't say that yet. Christ is... You can say it on Sunday. Yes, you can. <laughs> All right. Okay. Love we'll you see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.